Good morning, everyone. So good to be here today. The scripture is going to be on the screen, and uh, we want to plant the Word of God in our hearts this morning, so uh, allow me to read the scripture for you from uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 14 uh, through 22. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Would you read it with me? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Shall we pray? Father, thank you this morning for the rich privilege of being here. And isn't this Joseph's son? Lord, we know that you are the son of God, that you're Mary's son, and that you are the son of God. And today we ask that you presence yourself in our midst in a powerful way. We invite you to be here among us and teach us to unroll the scroll in our hearts and to help us to see clearly what you have for us today. That we would learn from you, Lord. That we would learn from your heart. So, Lord, walk among us today and minister to our hearts. May this be anointed ground today as we worship together. We're so grateful, Lord, for uh, the past few days of of the weekend of living generously. So grateful for the journey and uh, recognized anew the fact that we're all on a journey, every one of us here this morning. And you've got us on a journey. We just want to be open to uh, your voice at every turn, every twist, every corner. Every intersection, Lord, of our lives. Uh, Lord, I want to pray for our community uh, this morning. And as the community gathers here tomorrow night for a meeting, we pray that you would help us to be bridge builders. We know that there is uh, differences of thought. But in in trying to understand this housing project, Lord, I pray that you will give us much wisdom 
I ask for wisdom for the leaders of our community. Lord, I pray for understanding in all of our hearts when there are missing pieces of information. But Lord, you have us on a journey here as well. And I pray that uh, you will use each of us as your followers to be able to uh, connect with people in our community and breathe life into them and to encourage them and to be an anchor in our community. Lord, we're learning how to do that. We don't always know how to do that. And we confess our need for you to help us. Lord, so uh, in our weakness, would you help us to be stronger? And uh, Lord, we just bless you and honor you. And uh, thank you for bringing us here this morning. May, may the moments that we have together be life-giving for each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I am uh, so privileged this morning to uh, introduce our guest, Dr. Uh, Scott Roden. I'll call him by his first name uh, because I feel like I've known him after just a very short time. Uh, and Scott, as you know, has uh, been with us for the weekend for the Living Generously Conference. And uh, it really didn't take very long at all to get to know his heart. His heart beats for God, his heart beats for people, and uh, his heart beats for us to be faithful stewards of all that God has resourced us with. Uh, I, I really believe he has a refreshing understanding and practice of what it means to live a generous life simply because it all relates to being a faithful steward who lives under the absolute submission of Jesus. And I think you're going to see him unpack some of that this morning for us. Scott is married to uh, Linda. They have three adult children. And uh, Scott and Linda uh, reside in Spokane, Washington. Scott travels a lot. He loves to write. He's a prolific writer. And I'm learning to uh, love to read what he writes. Uh, it's, it's been so good for my own heart. He has authored seven books. Some of them are available at the table today. You're most welcome to pick up a couple uh, if you're so interested. He's also been the president of Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And that's particularly interesting to us as a congregation because one of our congregation was the academic dean during the days when Scott was the president. And Eric Ullman, Eric, you're here this morning, I think. Would you just stand? Eric, uh, no, he won't stand, but he, no, he is standing. <laughs> Eric uh, is the academic dean at Taylor Seminary. But he was also the academic dean during the days in which uh, Scott was the uh, president of uh, Eastern Theological Seminary. So a great connection, and they had supper last night. I'm sure they got caught up on, uh, on uh, old times. We've had five sponsoring uh, partners host the Living Generously Weekend. Uh, Taylor Seminary and E.P. Wall Center, the Alberta Baptist Association, North American Baptist Foundation, uh, and the president is Ron Norman. Ron was over at Central Baptist Church. Ron, did you make it? Did you make it here this morning? He's still coming, I think. Uh, a couple of us sit on his foundation board. Ron lives in uh, Chicago, and uh, and bless his heart, he has scheduled a board meeting for Phoenix in the month of February. And I think he is such a wise leader. Uh, the TPB Strategic Council, Tom Barakoff. Uh, really carried the lion's share of this of this weekend. Uh, and Tom, where's Tom? 
Uh, Tom, would you stand? Yes, you do. You need to stand. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Tom. Tom has done so much work, and we deeply appreciate that. And then uh, TCC, we've been privileged to be involved. I'm so proud of all of you. Our volunteers were terrific. Our staff, our kitchen team, the food Friday night and yesterday was astronomical. And uh, our nursery workers were first class. We just appreciate everyone uh, who has been so involved in this weekend. So, Scott, would you come? And I'd love to pray for you just before you speak. And uh, just ask God's blessing on you as you, as you share. Father, thank you for, for Scott. Thank you for the rich experiences of his life. And thank you that, uh, that he has allowed you to form and shape him so that he can be a servant to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. Usually the first time I step into a pulpit, I look around and try to get a feel for what it's really going to look like. I, I kind of feel like I, like I own this place. I, I realized um, over the last day and a half, I, I, I was presented from this stage for about seven hours. I mean, nobody should have to endure that, right? Um, but it was a rich experience. One of the things um, when you come and you teach over that extended period of time, you usually feel like you come and you just give and you give and you give and you kind of leave pretty much empty because you've kind of given everything you had. But what I found in the last day and a half is that no matter how much I gave, no matter how much I, I emptied and, and gave away, I kept getting filled back up. The comments, the prayers, the way that people prayed for me, the, the, the conversations we had afterwards, I just kept getting filled up and filled up. And by the end of the day yesterday, when I should have been empty and exhausted, I was absolutely filled to the brim and energized. And I want to thank you for all of you that were here that walked through this series with us together. Um, it has been a tremendous blessing in my life to be here and be able to share with you. Um, Edmonton uh, will always have a warm place in my heart, as will this wonderful church. So thank you. And the fact that, I mean, every day it's sunny and warm here. <laughs> Who'd have thought in Edmonton, Alberta? But I, I'll go back and tell everyone, you've got to go up there. It's amazing. Um, I, I look forward to sharing a few things this morning. I'm gonna, I pulled a little bit from what we talked about over the last day and a half. Because I want all of you to, I'd like to share with you some nuggets of what we talked about and then expand on it just a little bit in the few moments we have together here. Um, earlier this summer in July, I w had the opportunity to travel to Bangalore, India. Lusan folks asked me to come over. And they had gathered together a group of pastors and lay leaders and some seminary folks from India and South India and sort of Southeast Asia to talk about generosity. And I was brought over because I was the... I was the expert. Well, I spent three days as a student. I took notes as fast as I could. The, the understanding of generosity that these men and women had was just rich and full. Generosity and the topic is taking over like a flame around the world right now, wherever God's people are gathered. And it's a wonderful thing that you've decided to focus on that and talk about that. One of the presenters presented a scripture that I have read, you know, dozens of times in my life, but he pointed something out there that really kind of rocked my world, and I want to share it with you today, but to do it, I need, I'm going to demonstrate this, so I need some audience participation. So I need six brave volunteers, very quickly, who are just willing to run up here and help me do this. Six, there we go. There's one, two, don't have to raise your hand. Six, 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 first six. 
Come on, here we go. There's two. I got three. I got four. I got five. One more. One more. I feel like an auctioneer. One more. One, two, three, four, five. One more. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. One more brave soul. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's good. All right. Let's come up and um, I'm going to really upset the music people here, but we're going to move them around a little bit. So just stand over here a little bit in a line. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Ken. Because the scripture verse, if you put the scripture up here, that he referred us to is, um, is this. And he, let me set the context for this real quickly. John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends his followers out and he says, go, go talk to Jesus of Nazareth and make sure that he really is the real thing. Make sure that he's really the Messiah. So they find their way to Jesus, and this is the story. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And this is Jesus' reply. Go back and report to John what you see and what you hear. Okay, so here, let's set the scene. Um, I need you to, to cover your eyes. Make sure I get all these down here, right? I make notes with me. Okay, I need you to um, just sit down. Can you do that for me? Thank you. I want you to put your hands over your chest like this. And put your head down. Very good. Um, hands over your ears. I need you to just lay down flat. Okay? And I need you, are you okay kneeling? Okay, I just need you to kneel down. Good, 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 good. And you can kind of put your hands out. All right. So this is what, this is what, the, this is what they found. Jesus says to him, to the, to the folks, go back and tell this to John. I am meeting the needs of everybody just as you expected the Messiah would. So first of all, it says, to the blind... What, what does a blind person want? I want to see. He said, to the blind, I'm giving sight. And do kind of a happy dance. There you go. <laughs> the blind are seeing. Go back and say that to the, the lame, what do the lame people want? If you're lame, what do you want to be able to do? You want to walk. He said to the lame, they're walking. Happy dance. There you go. Very cool. <laughs> to the lepers, if, you're a, if you have leprosy, what's the one thing you want to have? No lepers. You want to be healed, right? You want to be healed. He said, to the leper, I'm giving healing. Happy dance. Very good. If you're deaf, what do you want to do? Hear. To the deaf, I'm giving hearing. They can hear. If you're, well, if you're dead, you can't want anything. Okay, I understand that. But if you could want something and you were dead, what would you want to have? Life. He said, to the dead, they're alive. And if you're poor, what's the one thing you want? Uh-oh. We have a problem. We have a problem. Everybody got what they wanted. But you come to the poor, and the poor who need money, Jesus says, tell them that I'm meeting the needs of the poor by preaching the good news. What's going on? How is preaching the good news the answer to the needs of the poor? And, you know, I never thought about that before. I read that verse all the way through and thought, yeah, that's a wonderful text. That's the question that we're going to ask today. And by the end, I hope to be able to answer for you that question of why preaching the gospel is good news to the poor. Let's give our folks a hand here, will So what was Jesus saying? Obviously, he's fulfilling a prophecy or, or a text that came way back in Isaiah, that this, would, this is what the Messiah would do. To understand this, we need to do a bit of theology. You okay with that? Can we do a little theology this morning? 
It's early in the morning. We're going to do it anyway, so you're stuck. But anyway, you had coffee, deep breath, arms up. Let me just walk you through a wonderful, rich little theological understanding of, of that I think we'll get at the nub of what Jesus was trying to say here. I want to go back to creation. Um, we don't study, I don't maybe creation enough as evangelicals. So let's go back to creation for a minute. Because this wonderful moment when God reaches down into nothingness, rejects everything that would harm us, and creates this beautiful creation. The world, all the things in the world, he creates humanity. He puts us in this world. And if we go back and we look at God's intent for you and me as we understand it in our, the way we were created, we're going to find that he created us for relationships. Now that shouldn't surprise us because we know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that right? Amen? Come on, I was nine years at a Baptist seminary. I need more than that. Amen? Amen. Amen. We were Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that our God is a triune God. And because of that, when He created someone in His image, He created us for relationships. I believe He created us for relationships out of Genesis on four levels. And this is what it looks like. Our created reality is this idea that we were created for, first of all, relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. How cool is that? We were created for wholeness in our relationship with ourselves. Adam and Eve knew who they were. They knew why they were created. They knew what their purpose was. They knew what their future was. They had peace with who they were. We had wholeness in our relationship with one another. Beautiful relationship between Adam and Eve. And they had wholeness with relationship with creation. God takes Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden, and says, Take care of it. Tend it. This is your home. That's God's original intention. For his relationship with us and for our relationships around us. I have an organization that likes to say that God's original intent was to live in a garden with a bunch of naked vegetarians. That's kind of true. Well, that's a really beautiful picture, but unfortunately that's not where Genesis ends. It goes on to Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? So this is really the, the, the graph that I want to walk through with you real briefly here. Um, and it's fairly simple if you look at it going from left to right. It begins on the left with this picture of us in these whole, perfect, wonderful relationships in which God created us. In Genesis 3, we know that the fall came in and it brought brokenness in every single one of those relationships. You read through chapter 3 in Genesis and you find, first of all, we have, there's brokenness in relationship with God. What did Adam and Eve do next time they heard God after the fall? They hid. They're afraid to even be in His presence. There was certainly a brokenness in relationship with themselves. I can imagine wondering what it must have been like to say, I, I, I don't have a relationship with God. I, I'm, my wife and I are fighting. I, you know, I'm thrown out of the garden. This whole understanding of why I'm here was broken. They certainly had brokenness with one another. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames Adam. They get thrown out of the garden in the very first chapter after they leave the garden. is chapter 4. And what happens in the first six verses? Cain kills Abel. We're off and running. And finally, certainly a brokenness with creation itself. Adam now told it's going to be tough making a living out of the ground. There's a relationship change of brokenness with us in creation. Well, when we think about that level of brokenness, think about how incredible the cross of Jesus Christ is. Because Christ came to restore everything that was lost in the fall. Do you believe that? Absolutely everything that was lost in the fall. And so our relationship with God was healed in Jesus Christ and given back to us. And we can now come with confidence before the throne of grace. 
Our relationship with ourself was healed. Now we understand, once again in Jesus Christ, who we are, why we're here, what we're supposed to do, and where we're going. Do you know those four things in your life? As you're sitting here today, do you have certainty in who you are as a child of God, why you're on this earth, what God is calling you to do, and what your future looks like? If you do, rejoice. Because the world around us is dying to know those things. If you don't, then I really would encourage you to find a pastor or, a, or a, an elder afterwards and talk with them. Because that's the promise God has for us in Jesus Christ. That's been healed. Third, we are certainly healed in our relationship with our neighbor, to love our neighbors we love ourselves. And finally, our relationship with creation was rehealed, and God gives it back to us now to be stewards. So here's, here's the summation of what this chart needs to say to us this morning. Everything in our entire life, every relationship in every area of our life that was broken has been redeemed. And God stands before you and I this morning and says... I'm giving it all back to you. It's a gift. Take care of it. Be a steward. You don't own it. You lost it. But I love you. And I'm giving it back to you. And the rest of your life, all I want you to do is to be a faithful, loving steward of everything in your entire life. It's all His. And we get to live this life. You see it? When we do that well, we become what I call a one kingdom person. And a one kingdom person is simply somebody who has taken everything in every sphere of their life and surrendered it back to Jesus Christ. It is the life God has for us to live. Well, there's something troubling about that, at least in my life, because I'm not living that life. How much I wish that I were living the life where everything in my entire existence was totally surrendered back to Jesus Christ and I was just living the joyful life of a free steward. I know that's what he wants, but it's not my reality. And I'm going to guess it may not be the reality for most of us in the room this morning. Why is it that we have stress and fear and anxiety and doubt and discouragement and depression and greed and envy and struggle with all the things in life when God has this wonderful opportunity for us to live as free stewards. Well, to answer that question, let's go back just real briefly to Genesis chapter 3. We kind of skipped over it, but I want us to hear what really happened there. So, Eve is living in the garden, and we know from Genesis chapter 3, the enemy comes along, and he starts to talk with her. And he says, first of all, so tell me, Eve... Did God say that you can't eat of anything in the whole garden? Can't eat of anything at all? And she says, no, that's not what he said. God said we could eat of everything. Everything in the whole garden is ours. Except the fruit on that one tree. Oh. I wonder what you're missing. If God is really good, why wouldn't he let you eat of every tree? And you see, I think the enemy gets Eve to begin to question if God is really good, if God is really fully for us, then He does the same thing for us. We have circumstances in our life where we pray for something to happen and it doesn't happen. We're wondering, if God is really good, why wouldn't He answer that prayer? If God is really good, why wouldn't He give me what I want? If God is really good, why am I dealing with this circumstance? And the enemy whispers in our ears and says, well, maybe God's not really good. 
And we start down this road. Then, he comes along and says, Eve, let me tell you what's really going to happen. You see, you're not going to die if you eat that fruit. But your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to get a chance to see things that you have never seen before. And there's some things that God is holding out on you. And he gets Eve to begin to question whether she can really trust God. Really? God would hold out on me? There's some things maybe I could get a hold of that God's holding back from me? And the enemy says the same thing to us today, doesn't he? Can we really fully trust God completely? Are we absolutely sure He has our best intention in mind? Are we absolutely dependent on Him and know that He's always going to take care of us? Or do we have to maybe start taking care of ourselves and trusting ourselves? And so we go a little further down that road. And then finally He comes in with the third one, which is the real zinger. He says, Eve, not only will your eyes be opened, <laughs> but you'll be like God. You get to be like God. In essence, in some sense, isn't that what we all kind of want? It's kind of good to be the king, isn't it? And so he comes to her and he says, if you'll take this back and you'll grab control of your life and you'll trust yourself instead of trusting God, you get to build your own kingdom where you don't have to rely on God at all. And she takes the fruit and she eats it. And from that point on, we have become builders of our own kingdoms. And I think, I'm hoping and I'm praying that each one of us, if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, can look at our lives and can identify at least a few things that we have to admit we have put some walls around and we have claimed to be our own and we take control over and we say, this is mine. Maybe it's our reputation. Maybe it's our future. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our relationships. Maybe it's our money. Maybe it's our time. But we all struggle with those things that we still want to put our arms around and control. Is everybody okay with that? Are you with me so far? Can we all sort of identify those things? No true confessions. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and anything like that. But if you can see it, if you can identify it, then you can begin to do something about it. Because here's the challenge. Every single thing that we put in our own kingdom will be the source of our fear, our dread, our anxiety, our stress, our despair, and our discouragement. Do you believe that? If, if, if you struggle with that, go the opposite direction. Because here's what I do. If, I, if I'm going through the day and all of a sudden I'm facing some real stress in my life and I'm just feeling totally stressed out by something, if I stop and I say, okay, Scott, what's the source of that stress? I can trace it back, and guess what? It's always something in my own kingdom. I have never in my adult Christian life known stress, fear, anxiety, fear, or dread over anything that I have surrendered fully to Jesus Christ. It's always stuff I'm holding on to. And that's the reward, by the way. You see, we get rewarded for being kings and queens over, over our own little kingdom, and the reward is absolute bondage. It's just like heavy chains that the enemy puts on us. And we wear them through life trying to live the joyful life that God would have for us. And they're heavy and they wear us down. And they fill our lives with all kinds of things that God doesn't want to have in our lives. So the message this morning is that the life that God has for you 
is the life of absolute freedom. And it begins with naming those things in our second kingdom, getting off our thrones, getting out of our own kingdoms, and giving them back to Jesus and saying, Lord, I am no longer going to be the Lord over this part of my life. I'm tired. It's hard. I'm tired of the fear. I'm tired of the stress. I'm tired of the anxiety. I'm tired of living this kind of life. I want to be free and joyful and live for you. But to do it, I've got to unlock the chains and let them fall and give it all back to him. Because after all, my friends, it's all his anyway. You see, that's the big deception, isn't it? We can only pretend that we're the owners. We never are ever the owners. We never really do have control. We learn that in life, don't we? The more we try to have control over something, the more we realize how little control we really do have over things. Absolutely the case. So the freedom that God has for us is there for us today. So here's the promise. Here's the invitation, if you will, that we have for you. Three, three scripture verses that, are in, that, that help us understand what God has for us. Wonderful, rich. I just pray that these minister to your soul this morning. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christ came, my friends, to set us free from all those things that bind us. To let us step off our thrones with joy and give it all back to Him. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Now the, Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Freedom. And this last one where Paul just so badly wants to make the point. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, men, and don't let yourselves get yoked again by these burdens of slavery. Let the chains fall. Put it behind you. Embrace the life that God has for you. The holy, submitted, joyful life of the faithful steward. There's probably maybe one real catch to being able to do this fully. And that is, we have to believe in our very spirits that if we turn over our lives to God absolutely and completely, that He really will be in control. Right? It's a big step of faith. It's a big step of faith to give up, walk up, walk away from our little thrones and our kingdoms and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm giving it all back to you. We have to believe He really is in control. He helped me understand that a few years ago. I'm going to try and make this very brief. But it was a major story in my life. We moved our family from Philadelphia to Spokane, Washington in 2002. We decided to do it ourselves, save some money, right? And so we rented a 25-foot moving van that pulled a 10-foot U-Haul and a 16-foot moving van that pulled a 1,500-pound car trailer on which we parked a car. And following this little caravan was another vehicle, were two more vehicles, and altogether, we were six vehicles, two moving vans, seven people, a dog, and a goldfish. And on a very hot, sweltering June day, we left Philadelphia to, to drive across the United States. Um, I made the mistake when I picked up the great big moving van, which I was going to drive, of, of when I saw that it had 135,000 miles on it, I should have said something. Um, but I didn't. And I was about halfway across the United States, I realized that this may be this last trip. For this van. This is probably, I'm probably going to drive it to its grave. And one of the challenges was, is we, when we got into the west, we started having the big mountain passes. And I would literally get this truck going up this mountain pass, and I was pulling a big 10-foot you know, U-Haul trailer, and we're going up this mountain pass, and I was getting closer to the top, the heat gauge would go all the way to the right, and there's this little, really annoying red light 
that would come on, and it would start beeping at me, and it would beep just as I got to the crest of the hill, and I would just pray, Lord, come on, come on, 100 feet, 100 feet, 100 feet, and I would just get it up over the top, and then it would start back down again, and the thing would come back down, a little annoying light would go off. And I just nursed this thing through the West. The last night we were in Bozeman, Montana, and I knew I had to go over Lookout Pass. And I knew there was no way I was getting this truck over Lookout Pass. So that we made the decision the night before to take off the great big 10-foot trailer, to take the car off the car trailer, and put the empty car trailer on my big truck. So I saved quite a bit of weight. So we strapped it all on, got all fixed up all I could do. 1,500-foot empty car trailer. And I took off two hours ahead of everybody else because I knew I was going to go really slow, and I started off. I'm heading up Lookout Pass, and as I start getting close to the top of the pass, it begins to sort of come home to me that we have just sold our home, left a job as president of a seminary, moved my entire family across country to a place where I had no job, with three kids getting ready to enter college, because we believe this is what God wanted us to do. And every swerve as I got closer to the top of Lookout Pass, which would put us looking down into near Spokane, my anxiety just began to grow. And I got more anxious. And you know what? I, st I started to play the what-if game. You play that game a lot? What if, what if I can't get a job? What, what, what if we don't make enough money? What if I can't send my kids to college? What if, what if, what if? And, and it, I could see the enemy was just, just whispering all the way along. And by the time I got to the top of the pass, I was a wreck. I was absolutely a nervous wreck. I thought, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. I said, Lord, help me. Started down, and when you start down off Lookout Pass, there are these big, wide, sweeping turns. It's about a 65, 70-mile-an-hour um, area there. And I was thinking about other things, and I was zooming along. I was zooming along about 70 miles an hour in my 25-foot truck with my trailer behind it. And the road was really bumpy. And we're going along, and I'm going over these bumps, and I'm taking these big, wide curves. And then, my friends, I saw something that you never want to see in your entire life. As I'm going around a left-hand curve, I looked in my left rearview mirror, and moving out from behind my truck was my 1,500-foot car trailer. Now, to do that, it had to come off the ball. Both of the safety chains had to somehow come unhooked. And the cable that triggers the brakes on the trailer snapped and never triggered the brakes. Completely free at 70 miles an hour, a 1,500-foot, I had just launched a 1,500-foot, 1,500-pound car trailer into the other lane of traffic. Three things went through my mind just like that. And all three of them told me that my life was pretty much done. The first is it would careen into the other lane of traffic and just... A lot of people were about to die. The second is there was a big berm of dirt that goes along the side of the freeway, and a little town of Mullins sits right down there, and I could just see that trailer careen over, hit that berm, and go flying like a missile into the middle of this little town. And the third was that it would stop and flip over and come to rest in the middle of two lanes of traffic where people were coming up over the hill at 75 miles an hour. And I, I just knew at that moment my life is about to be changed forever. Well, the fact that I'm here tells you that none of those happened. What actually happened is that trailer did go back, go over to that berm, but instead of flying up over the top of it, it hit, and all this dirt came flying out. And as I watched in my rearview mirror, it came back, still heading straight, back into the lane right behind my truck. But now it's going a little slower. 
I had this big bumper on the back of my moving van, so I start slowing down, and all of a sudden I feel the, the, the tongue come up underneath the back of my truck. And as I looked ahead, in the big sweeping curve in front of me, there was a huge pullout. And I just stayed straight, slowed down, slowed down, pulled into that great big turnout area, and came to a stop. I got out, took out a jack, jacked up the back of my truck, and I just literally pulled the tongue up, put it right back on the ball. Hooked the whole thing back up, went back in, sat down in the truck, went to put the key in the ignition. And I started shaking so bad. And I started, started, actually started crying. The relief was so huge on my face. But here's the kicker. As I'm sitting in that truck with tears pouring down my face, trying to figure out what just happened, I heard God speak so clearly into my mind. And he just said to me, Scott, do you still wonder if I'm in control? Wow. It was his message to me. Would you just stop worrying? And let me take over. I ask myself and I ask you today, how many trailers does God have to unhitch in our lives to remind us that we can really fully give our lives back to Him? So I'm going to give you an illustration and then close with a short story here. Um, I used this when we were uh, over this weekend. Because I would, I would encourage all of you to go home and find a mason jar and fill it with dirt. Okay? And put it someplace where you can see it every morning of every day. Because here's what this symbolizes to me. First of all, this jar of dirt symbolizes from where we came. Right? Genesis chapter 2. God did what? He formed humanity out of the dirt. He just put a pile of dirt together. And he breathes into it. And all of us... Our whole ancestry was created. I tell people that like genealogy, you know, if you trace your ancestors back far enough, you're going to come to dirt. This is where we started. The other end is that this is where we're all going to end. Isn't it? I mean, in the end, the worms win. We are all going to end up as dirt. The reality is dirt is where we began, and dirt is where we are going to end on this journey on this earth. And my friends, in between dirt and dirt, it's all His. It's all His. The invitation is to live the life of a joyful, free steward who's able to live lightly in this world, who asks the owner every day, what do you want me to do with all this? Because it's yours. What do you want me to do with my life, with my time, with my money, with my relationships? Just show me. You're the owner. I'm the steward. I just want to be free. I want to be obedient. I want to live a life of joy. It's the life God has for us. There's a, uh, a symbol of what... Well, I'm going to move beyond that. I'm just going to say real briefly, there's an interesting symbol that we have once a week that allows us to say in at least one little part of our life just how free and joyful we really are. And it's this little basket. You know? And I would pray that here at this church, if you want to create a, a culture of generosity that you would make what happens with this little basket every Sunday a central part of your joyful worship of the God of the universe. Because when you get this basket in front of you, you have the opportunity to do some wonderful things. You have the opportunity to say to God and the whole community some great things about who your God is, who your Lord is, your relationship with money, your freedom to be able to give generously and joyfully. It's just one of the ways, one of those little tangible ways 
in which we can come before God and say, you know what? My life is very different. I love, this is my favorite part of the service. Wouldn't that be great? Man, the sermons are great. The music is wonderful. I can hardly wait till the offering comes. Because I really get to worship God. I get to say, man, here you go. This is, this is my symbol of the fact that I love the Lord more than anything else. So, closing story, and then I'm going to answer our question for us. I was asked a while ago, what is my favorite story about giving in Scripture? And so I'm going to share it with you real briefly. It comes out of Matthew, actually, you read it out of Luke 19, 28-34, and you all know the story so well, I don't even have to read it. Jesus is about ready to, do the, um, to enter into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This is the pre-Palm Sunday story. And he tells his disciples... He said, I want you to go into Bethany, and this is the only way I can put this, don't get offended by this, but he said, I want you to go steal a donkey. And that's really what he tells him to do, isn't it? You're going to go in, you're going to find a donkey tied up, and I, just, just take it. Just take it. Okay, well, um, that could get a little awkward. Well, if somebody asks you what you're doing, just say that the Lord needs it. That'll be enough. Yeah, okay. So the disciples go into the town, and sure enough, they find the donkey. And sure enough, they start to untie it, and sure enough, the owner comes out. And Luke tells us, the owner says, excuse me, why are you untying that donkey? I don't think that's what he said. (laughs) I think he said, why are you untying that donkey? You're stealing in broad daylight. My, My donkey is an important part of my life and my family. And all they say to him, is the Lord needs it. And that was enough. Isn't that amazing? That was enough. They didn't say to him, well, we're here representing the triumphal entry campaign, and we have a brochure here that says that to make our campaign goals, we need three gifts at the donkey level, and we're hoping that you might prayerfully consider giving one of those to today. No, not that. They didn't promise him a seat next to Jesus at the major donor dinner. They didn't tell him they'd put a little plaque that would hang on the back of the donkey that said, this donkey was made available by the gracious donation of Abu the tailor, you know. None of that. All he said is, the Lord needs it. Can you imagine the joy in that man's heart when a few hours later he watched the King of Kings and Lord of Lords marching into Jerusalem on his donkey? That's what God will do for you, for this community, for this church. If we will live the kind of life where all we need to hear, the Lord needs it. Because it's all His anyway, right? So here's the bottom line. When you and I have been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ to live the life of the joyful, generous steward, and all we need to hear in our lives is that the Lord needs it, we will pour ourselves out into this community And we will become the answer to the needs of the poor. We will not tolerate poverty in our midst. And we will let God use us to meet the needs of everybody out there. See, when God's people really hear the gospel, the needs of the poor are met, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. May that be the legacy of your life and the mission of this church. God bless you all.